Hey there, heels and baby faces, and many thanks for lacing up the boots of the 34th edition of Scoring at the Movies, the every other Thursday podcast that spends our mic time talking about athletic motion pictures. Not to give away the finish, but we spoil. All these wrestling references right off the bat. Maybe they're even confusing you. I'm always confused. This is nothing new for me, Ryan. <laughs> and it also occurs to me right now that I spent no time practicing my Macho Man impression, so... That is instantly something that's going to disappoint me as we talk to this Save movie. your voice. Yeah. I better do the same, because I know how much that hurts. Oh, yeah. No, <laughs> damn it. No, continue. I'm the one-trick pony who suffers heart attacks after being stapled, forked, and worst of all, cookie-sheeted, Ryan Ellis. <laughs> and here's that sweet child of mine, the chap who's been driven mad by mental health, and mental health probably too, Robin Ramzinski, a.k.a. Chris D. Gregorio. I was almost certain that you were going to call me a broken-down piece of meat in the intro, so oh. thank you for for not going there. Right away, I will say that line is right up there with my least favorite line of Field of Dreams. As much as I love Field of Dreams, we talked about this months ago. I only saw him years later when he was worn down by life. Both those lines are so written. It works better in The Wrestler because he is yeah. a broken-down piece of meat, and it also helps later on in the same scene. Well, right away, he says, I'm alone, I deserve to be alone. But that broken down piece of meat line, I don't know what it is. I hate it so much. Really? I actually like it. The specific wording of the line, it doesn't offend me. I don't love it. But within the context of that particular scene and the emotion of it, especially since he has just come to the realization of his body failing him, mm -hmm. it made sense to me. A broken down piece of meat might be a little bit more... Poetic. Written. Written, 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 written. Yeah, maybe. A little too poetic little for this po guy. too poetic for a guy like this, but I think it works within okay. what it's trying to do. And it is one of the three or four moments in this movie that still really gets me emotionally. That's true, because he does start crying. And did Mickey Rourke ever cry in movies before this? He'd been in a lot of films. This was an 80s heartthrob. So much of this movie is based on his reality. It was a star in the time they set the movie, because he's supposed to be a Hulk Hogan, Randy Savage kind of guy, although the promotional yeah. shots early on is apparently Lex Luger's body they're using for him. It, although Mickey Rourke's in really good shape when you see him later on in the film for a guy who's, I think, in his 50s in reality. I don't know if he cried either. And One of the reasons I really enjoyed this movie when it came out, and still do, I was too young to appreciate him in his prime in the 80s. And you before, were a baby. And I wasn't watching Nine and a Half Weeks when I was like seven years old or whatever it was. Actually, I would have been younger than that. When did Seven and a Half Weeks come out? I think it was 86. Yeah, so I would have been a five. So I knew nothing about him, and then he leaves to go fight and pisses off all of Hollywood and didn't come back. I think it was Get Carter in 2000. That was his coming back role. Got a small role in The Pledge. Sean Penn cast him in that. Yeah. But you know the real big comeback before The Wrestler, as great as this movie is, and we'll get to all that in a few minutes, but Sin City. No one should yeah. ever overlook how great he is in Sin City. Bruce Willis, Clive Owen, and Mickey Rourke are the three main leads of that, along with a lot of the women, but Don't of the guys. Don't forget Carla Gugino. I love her. Oh, yeah. Huge fan of that woman. But no, of the three males, those guys yeah. are the ones that dominate the film. It's their stories that he, carry the whole film he is through. Great and that. Willis and Owen are terrific too, but Rourke is the best thing in that whole movie. I remember Rourke specifically in Get Carter because that was the first time I can ever remember seeing him and thinking, I should know that face from somewhere. And then I looked up and realized what it was. And it was in 2005 that I really became a bit of a fan of his because of his Marv role. And then when this hit, I loved it. And that's when I looked into his history a little bit. And maybe that's why that broken down piece of meat thing rings a little bit more true for me. Because it sounds like the kind of thing that Mickey Rourke would actually say. It's so true of his actual life. Because he was, like you said, an 80s heartthrob. He pissed off the entire world, including his wife at the time and all of his friends. So he was, after chasing his boxing dream in the 90s, he was a literally a broken down piece of meat. And he was homeless at one point. He was homeless. He had nobody. At this point, I still don't think he was together with his now wife or his now partner, that Russian model who's like 30 years younger than he is. Mm. So it felt true, and especially knowing that Mickey Rourke effectively, I think, rewrote or ad-libbed much of his character's dialogue in this movie. I don't think he felt that the dialogue rang true to the character when he first read the script. The behind-the-scenes stuff was definitely when they all the wrestlers were talking behind the scenes. Apparently that was ad-libbed, if not entirely, then mostly. Yeah, so it makes me wonder how much of that was actually Mickey Rourke's true emotions coming through, him channeling his own experiences in the wilderness of Hollywood when he was an outcast and alone and not so much necessarily 
Randy the Ram, but Mickey Rourke himself. Nicolas Cage apparently was in line for this movie, and I think he maybe was going to just get the part. As then, Randy the Ram? Yeah, and I, I think that's worth casting, that. too. He doesn't have the same kind of baggage, although he's a terrific actor, and maybe wouldn't have had the same physique, because Mickey Rourke does look great in this film. Yeah. But Darren Aronofsky always wanted Rourke, but he's just somebody that they couldn't rely on, so the studio said no. And then apparently Hulk Hogan has said, Oh, brother, that could have been me. I said, no, it's not right for me. Darren Aronofsky has said, no, Hulk Hogan was never in line for this movie. There's no chance. No chance Hulk Hogan said he was going to be the basis for Metallica at one point, too. So he is a tall tale teller. Maybe I shouldn't say I'm a fan of Hulk Hogan, but I appreciate everything he's accomplished in, not so much as an actor, but he's had his roles in movies. Of course, Thunderlips being a seminal role for Hulk Hogan Rocky III. I can't imagine him trying to pull off some of the emotionally... He's not good enough actor. He's never been a good actor. No, of course not. John Cena and The Rock have turned out to be pretty good actors as wrestlers who've turned into actors, but Hulk Hogan never was. Okay, let's get back into the movie in a few minutes. We've got some other things to take care of. First of all, the beers. You have two again. What is that one sitting in front of you? So it's fitting that you mentioned the physique of Mickey Rourke in this movie as a man in his 50s. But when I was watching this movie, the one character I really felt was most reflective of who I would be if I was a wrestler in this backwater wrestling world that Randy the Ram inhabits now. And it's that like hillbilly-ish guy that kept stapling his body and stapled Randy's man boobs there at one point. Because he is not a fit man, right? He must be a mankind... Terry Funk, I think, is probably supposed to be... Okay. I think like, he's homaging him as much as anything. Yeah, sort of that hillbilly-ish, out-of-shape kind of guy that can just take more punishment than anyone else. So in homage to him, this is... Over my dad body, fills their <laughs> ale from a Great Lakes Brewery. <laughs> nice touch. Yeah, thank you. So I felt that was just fitting, given who I would be in this movie you if a, I were taking a part. You have a backup beer behind us. We'll get to that later on. I am drinking bourbon and diet Pepsi today. All right, before we get back in The Wrestler, let's talk about some Friday Night Lights. And incidentally, I put down FNL, and I realized that's an acronym for NFL. Ooh, I blew my own mind. Never mind yours. Not, not an acronym, an anagram. That's it. I always get something wrong in these podcasts, don't I? Masking (laughs) tape, duct tape last week, two weeks ago. Normally you say runs, hits, and errors here, but what is it? It's audibles? Interceptions, fumbles, and all-around turnovers, I guess. Okay, there you go. That works. Okay, we've got a few things. I just showed you something on YouTube. You can find the real coin toss that took place between Permian, Midland High, and Midland Lee. It was on November 11th, and there's a graphic that says the three teams only lost one game apiece. I'm the one that said in that podcast two weeks ago that they must have lost more than one game. Permian, that is. But it says they only lost one game each. Right. So we see that blowout in the second game, and they turned it around from that point on. And I included a link for this on the website, topperniterproject.com, for Friday Night Lights. So you can go back and look at that if you want to see that clip. Or just go on YouTube and put in something like Permian Panthers, coin toss, anything like that will get you there. And the real Gary Gaines did have to walk halfway across the room to pick up his coin because he threw it so far. You see him go yeah. right off camera. He didn't yell at anybody to not touch his nope. damn coin, but he did walk across And they the also room. have a debate, a few of them, about whether or not the other team, Midland High or Midland Lee, whether their coin was a head or a tail. So yeah. that scene got it more right than we would have thought. How likely do you think it is that Midland Lee or whatever, Midland coach intentionally chose an extremely worn and fuzzy coin? Maybe. Just in case he had the opportunity to try to game the flip a little bit. Because in the movie, they make it seem like, oh, that's a head. And then someone else will say, that looks more like a tail to me. Yeah, they played up a little bit for the movie. But like you said, that's true to life. They had trouble discerning whether it's a head or tail in reality. Yeah. Yeah. The coin toss takes place on November 11th, incidentally. And that means the season is shorter than I thought it was. Because, of course, they're leading into playoffs there. You got all the September games, you've got all of October, and maybe one week of November. So I was suggesting there's probably about 10 games in the season. Probably isn't that many. I guess it could have been, but it's probably more like the eight or so that you were saying. I'm pretty sure that if we were to Google something like high school, Texas State... I tried. I couldn't find anything. Really? Yeah. Oh, anyway. I should try harder, I guess. Nah, let's not. <laughs> okay, well, one more thing I want to talk about, then we'll get back to The Wrestler. Gary Gaines in the movie, Billy Bob Thornton, takes heat for playing Booby too long in that first game. And then Booby gets hurt because Chris Comer's not ready because he doesn't have his helmet. And we think that Booby hid the helmet. And that's why all this happened in the first place. But one thing I just thought of when I was editing was he takes so much heat from those radio guys, right? Gary does. Mm -hmm. And never says a word about anybody. And I think the reason why is because like any good coach or captain or manager or whatever in any kind of sport, he is protecting his players. Rather than saying to those guys... I had to play him because the backup wasn't ready because his helmet wasn't on him. He couldn't find it. He would have probably taken the heat. So that's my call. I left him in there too long rather than saying, this is why. Just showing that Gary Gaines in the movie as portrayed by Billy Bob has got even more honor than we thought he did. Billy Bob did a good job of balancing the character in such a way that you got the sense that he did actually care about the well-being of his players. Mm-hmm. 
while still understanding the insane pressures that were being applied to him from all angles in that small town. If and we ever used existing music for theme music for us and just changed every time, Friday Night Lights definitely would have had under pressure. <laughs> <laughs> you can see it in his face when he's sitting down with Booby and his uncle. The MRI was clean. You're okay to play. 100%. 100%. And he looks at the uncle and he's like, you agree with this? And the uncle says, yeah. 100%. Yeah, like, yeah. Okay, the coach doesn't believe You're him. You're not telling the truth. But if, I think we might have talked about this actually. Yeah, yeah. If I don't play you and you go to the press, I'm just going to get You made a great point about that, yeah. Yeah, pilloried, so. Because Booby maybe would have done that. Being a kid, he maybe wouldn't have thought, if I do this, I make my coach look stupid and bad. Yeah. The uncle looked like he was trying to maybe. ride, at least initially, like he was going to try to ride his nephew to fame and fortune mm. as much as he could. He loved him. He wasn't a manipulative uncle in a bad way. But early mm. on, it was kind of played a little bit like he was going to prove to be that manipulative uncle who's out for number one. Soccer right? dad, even though he was yeah. a football uncle. New expression, football uncle. Okay, back to The Wrestler. After showing at a bunch of festivals throughout 2008, so 11 years ago, The Wrestler was released by Fox Searchlight in December of 2008. It cost so little to make that its $44 million worldwide gross made it an art house success. $44 million is not a ton of money, but when it doesn't cost much, that's not bad. Yeah, I'm a little shocked that its worldwide gross is actually that low. I remember when this came out, and there was a fair bit of buzz. That, Two Oscar nominations? That it was about the quality of the movie. Maybe the subject matter. People see a thing called The Wrestler and just assume it's going to be That's probably part of fixated it. on the sport. No wrestling movie's ever been a success at the box office. I not, guess. Not a bon- well, this one kind of was, but no movie's ever been a bona fide hit. We were equally stunned that Ready to Rumble didn't do well at the box office. Couldn't figure that one out either. So. <laughs> Our prior wrestling movie. <laughs> okay. Pop quiz. Which of the two wrestling movies that we've covered now would you say is the better movie? I would appreciate that you need some time. I'm springing this on you. I don't like Dead Air in a podcast, but bear with me so I can think about this for a while. (laughs) Do you want me to do the Jeopardy music or something? No, let let me Dead Air. Sam, help me out. What's it going to (laughs) be? He's no good. Phone a friend. Ready to Rumble was not. It's just as bad as that I might be, but it was so stupid. And this movie, like you said a few minutes ago, gets you in the heart multiple times. It's so good. I don't think we could have picked two movies within a given sport. If we mm. had tried, we couldn't have found two ends of the spectrum True. as far as quality goes. We went from probably the worst thing we've seen so far to maybe the best thing. I think you can make arguments. Top for five at least. Well, yeah. I would top pro- three maybe? Probably top three. And you're right. It's so effectively emotional. I don't think I ever cried in this movie. When I watch Field of Dreams, I almost always end up breaking down into some tears at least once. But there are four scenes in this, maybe five where it's just like a gut punch of emotion, and you feel it, and it leaves you emotionally drained, but in a way that doesn't feel exhausting and manipulative. It just feels Mm. real and rewarding, almost, to witness what you... Real is a really good word for it. There's music in this, but not a lot of it. Maybe that's part of the reason why. Music is not a big manipulator of you in this film. This movie ends in a very Sopranos-esque way, where it's just a cut to black... Mm And you get Bruce Springsteen's The Wrestler theme immediately playing. The One Trick Pony song. The One Trick Pony song. Maybe unlike The Sopranos, I don't know if I'm the biggest fan of the way The Sopranos ended. I like it a lot. I'm not against it. I could see both sides of the pro or con argument of that ending, and I think it works just fine. In this case, I love the fact that Randy's ultimate fate is ambiguous because it almost doesn't matter within the context of the movie. All you have to know is that he has accepted that he is that One Trick Pony, and if he's not doing that, he's nothing. And the way that they convey that by blacking out and jumping right into that song, I thought was just an awesome way to end the mm. movie. I also feel the same way about his backstory. I mean, how many movies have we talked about where I've complained because we get so little information about a character and then the movie wants us to feel something for that character? Yeah. And in this case, we know very little about Randy's past. I mean, we get the montage and we have a sense of his fame. And like you said, he's meant to be something of a Hulk Hogan type of analog in the 80s, except this time he falls out of fame and he becomes a nobody for 20 years. Like so many wrestlers do. Like so many. This like, movie incidentally made Rowdy Roddy Piper cry. Yeah. And the reason why was not so much for his own sake is because he knew so many guys who went through this same thing. The guys that make it out in one piece with their mental state intact, with their bodies intact, and with a dollar to their name are probably the vast minority, at least historically. Maybe now it's different. Maybe now they do a better job of setting these guys up with some sort of nest egg. I don't know. Even knowing as little as we did about Randy... I think like you know everything about him. The way that the little things... You, everything you need to know, yes. you know. Because, Without them ever really telling him very much at all. Yeah, and the way that Mickey Rourke so effectively plays the gut-wrenching journey he goes through in this movie, trying to come to grips with who he is, where he is at his life, what he's lost, and what he's trying to hold on to. 
it's done in very subtle and small ways and you don't need the details of the past i mean you dig into it a little bit with the daughter sometimes and some of those emotional moments like the broken down piece of meat and mm. i'm alone and all that kind of stuff or at one point he says when you party hard you work hard you burn the candle at both ends you pay the price those kinds of small comments are off the cuff but you don't need to dig into the past and it's the rare instance when i fully agree with you on that front you know everything you need to know to feel exactly what this movie wants you to feel I think in large part that is due to Mickey Rourke's performance, mm -hmm. but credit to the director as well for not bludging you over the head repeatedly and trusting in that performance and the subtlety of the movie to really deliver what it needs to, because it does it more so maybe than any other movie we've watched so far, as far as its sheer effectiveness. And I include Field of Dreams in that, and I love that movie. I, yeah. do, I know you do as well. I'm with you. I think you're right. Well, I'm going to do the nutshell right now, because you talked about the very ending of the film, and it's ambiguous as to what really happens to Randy. I have read that Aronofsky says, no, he does die. Just like Aronofsky gives away what happened in Mother. Bev and I covered that only a few months ago. Here's two Aronofsky movies for me in a matter of months. And every movie this guy has made, I said on that podcast, the lead actor has been excellent, if not outstanding. I picked this movie and this performance as the best of any of the lead performances in his films, but none of them are bad, including mm -hmm. Hugh Jackman in The Fountain. That movie was not beloved by a lot of people. I think he's pretty good in that film, too. Bev, I think, picked, pretty sure Natalie Portman in Black Swan. But Aronofsky loves his ambiguous endings. And here's my nutshell. Mobile home enthusiast jumps on old rival and probably dies. I think he's dead. He His could. heart is bothering him during that match. And I love the touch where Ernest Cat Miller, an actual wrestler, a lot of actual wrestlers in this film, a lot of indie wrestlers, he wasn't. He was in WCW and was a relatively decent-sized mid-card star. He's the guy that plays the Ayatollah. And they call him Bob. Obviously, his <laughs> yeah. Bob Smith or something like that. But he plays the Ayatollah. And he's not even from Iran, even though he's playing an Iranian character. He looks like he's just a black... I think Ernest Miller's just a North American black man, yeah. an African-American. I love that touch because it is such a quintessentially 80s... Iron Sheik. Yeah, exactly. And such a quintessentially racist casting of it, too. Because yeah. like you said... He's just a North American guy who happens to have dark colored skin. Yeah. And so it's like, oh, you can pass as an Iranian. So right. you'll be the Ayatollah. It's not even Bob. that he's Indian or that he's from Pakistan or that he's from, I don't know, China. He's nowhere near that part, this of, the part of the world. Yeah. It's just exactly what we saw in that point of time. And like you said, you hear him talking with a fellow wrestler, I think, at one point about how he's talking about his used car dealership. He's doing well, apparently. Yeah, and how he's going to take over the Midwest. Mm. And I like how the Ayatollah, Bob, is trying to take care of Randy during the match. Ram, you okay? Oh, yeah. Multiple pin, times. Pin me, pin end me, it. Ram. Go home, is the expression they use in wrestling, is yeah. to end a match early. Go home. Let's go home. And he won't do it. And I think the Ram, when he jumps off that top rope, if he didn't die in that moment, his life is basically over. I think the implication for me anyway in that match is that maybe he didn't want to die going in, but I think he kind of did. And I got that sense when he was talking to Marissa Tomei's character before walking out. I got the sense when he gave the speech to the crowd that sounded almost a bit like a eulogy for himself. Mm. And then when he started to feel the chest pains and you can see him staggering around the ring. The show must go on. Don't forget that. Wrestlers have been trained to do that from the beginning. The show must go on. That's partly yeah. what he's doing. That's one reason why he wouldn't want to disappoint this crowd that's really into it. He wouldn't have been in the state he was in if that wasn't the case. But the fact that he wasn't going to do this match and then at the last second when everything in his world effectively unraveled on him. Might as well go out my way. Go out my shield, go I guess. Go out my way, yeah. Or if I don't die, then maybe something else will come of this because it's a fairly high-profile show. They actually reference it being Ring of Honor, don't they? I think they do, yeah. It was a Ring of Honor actual show. That's yeah, a, a... mid-sized promotion. It's nothing at the level of WWE or now AEW, who are a bit of a competitor for WWE. Yeah. But they're a real organization that has done pretty well. And apparently that crowd at first was not playing along with Ram's speech. They were actually mocking Mickey Rourke. <laughs> really? And Aronofsky, I think, came on the mic and said, guys, come on, if you're going to help us out here, then help us out. And That's apparently they all did the thing. This is what an indie crowd is so great about. They all chanted, we fucked up! We fucked up! <laughs> <laughs> and then they played along the rest of the time, which was great. Oh, that would have been a great scene to watch being filmed. Then. I really hope there's behind-the-scenes footage of that. And yeah, I think early in the movie when they first referenced that they were going to try to put this fight together for Randy and for the Iron... Uh, not the Iron Sheik, the Ayatollah. Mm -hmm. See, I'm already falling back into the real-life 80s <laughs> stuff. They're talking about this maybe happening and how this is the first time in 20 years and there's going to be a promoter or a scout or something from the big show and I guess the WWE analog for this movie was going to be there. And you're right, maybe he dies and he figures I got nothing to lose because if I'm dead, screw it, I went out on my terms. But if I put on the show of my life... Maybe I get that one last shot at the big time and maybe I die again. Mm. Or I take another risk at dying, rather. But Do the one thing I'm good at. We've yeah. seen this in a lot of movies we've covered. Bev and I have talked about it. I think you and I have, too. People have one thing they're good at. Martin Riggs, Mel Gibson, talks about that in Lethal Weapon. He talks about how he killed a guy in Laos. Only about five or ten guys in the world could have made that shot. It's the only thing I was ever good at. We've seen so many characters in our podcasts where they're only really good, or at least they think they are, at one thing. 
And that's what the Ram is in this, because he is the one-trick pony. Although, one of my favorite scenes in any movie ever, and one of the reasons why this movie was so good for me, and it's only about halfway in. I thought it was sooner. I thought he had this job all along. I guess he did earlier in oh. his life, but we don't see it in the movie portrayed. But when he's working at the grocery store, and it's specifically in the deli. I don't think he was in the deli earlier when he was at that store. No. That think... manager's really obstinate. It gets the feeling that maybe Ram was on the loading dock. Yeah, something like and that. And he doesn't want to be visible doing this job. But my favorite thing is when he gets into it that one day and he's calling people spring chicken and good looking and <laughs> hey, some good of that looking, stuff. looking to get you. Oh, that's so wonderful. It's so great. And then on the other hand, though, when he gets mad about how the guy recognizes him and everything's gone to shit in his life, so odd that he deliberately cuts his finger like that. Although I did think about this and I took a note. He bleeds for his supper earlier on, especially in that match, the hardcore one. Bleeds badly on that and that leads into his heart attack. He bleeds for his supper early on and then he deliberately cuts himself not for his supper, but in a food area, in maybe the most pivotal scene in the film, because that's when he's resigned to trying to get back into wrestling. I don't remember if it's exactly after that, where he's on the phone saying, yeah, I'm back after all. But it's soon after that point. It, yeah, it follows it up Because Pam, re- Casty Pam, whatever, Marissa Tomei, she Pam. rejected him. <laughs> and Stephanie, his daughter, rejected him. So what else does he have? And he does not want to work at this deli, even though the prior scene was so great and so cute. He became so overcome with rage that he just reverted to his wrestling character or that mindset. It's not an uncommon thing in especially some of these lower circuits in wrestling. And I'm not even a huge wrestling fan, and I know this. You have a little something palmed or in your wristband. They show him doing this, yeah. Yeah, and you cut yourself. Mickey Rourke did that for real in this film. Did he? Yes. And when he does it, it looks specifically, it looks like, and I don't blame him. He's an actor. He's not a wrestler. He looks like he's a little squeamish. Okay, I'll do this, Darren, but uh, I wouldn't blame him either. To me, it was almost like that move, right? He cuts his finger, and he spreads the blood all over his face, and it's kind of like that same move in wrestling when the blood's streaming down your face, and it just looks intense and scary, and he starts freaking out all the customers by wiping it all over himself and yelling at them. I just thought it was a little bit of an homage to that kind of wrestling move. And the wrestling lingo thing I can bring up is they always call it working, if they're doing their character, and you're saying he's doing his character. Well, he was working seconds before in his actual job, and he's working in this way. He's working the crowd. In his shoes in that job, I would have done the same thing, because that old woman was super annoying. A little more potato salad. Little, little less, less, little more, little more, little, little less. It's about damn time. But it's the guy that recognizes him, and he does not want to be recognized doing this job. Oh, yeah, he's also got to be Robin. There's a touch that I thought about for the first time when I saw this movie. I've seen it probably at least five times now. But his name, and we knew if you saw the movie before, you know it's not Randy Robinson. Right. He is Robin Remzinski. You hear that in multiple ways. He's got to wear the name tag that says Robin. So I wondered if he doesn't like the name Robin because it's not a bad name. Something wrong with that? It's actually kind of cool sounding, Robin Remzinski. If you're going to have an ethnic sounding name, that's not bad at all. But does he not like Robin because he had bad or even good relationship with his dad maybe his dad died and that hurts him or something like that and maybe he's a junior robin jr or the flip side is maybe he was a bad dad or stepdad or uncle he was named after whatever maybe there's abuse in there oh, you really just, thought about this yeah, well, definitely <laughs> this is kind of movie that invites this sort of thing why does he resent it so much when he goes up to the pharmacist who gives the real name as she would that's his actual yeah. legal name no no randy whatever he says randy robinson of the ram what does it matter right now she's just giving you a prescription you leave you're never gonna see this woman again probably is he that against this name for either bittersweet reasons or probably more likely negative reasons? And maybe that's why he's not a good dad himself. I took it to be two things. One, especially in the 80s, I don't think if you were named Robin, that would have been seen as a particularly masculine name. I suppose, yeah. Especially if you're into wrestling and this kind of macho atmosphere of the 80s. I don't think Robin plays. Robin Hood, Robin the sidekick of Batman. I don't know if I would describe Robin the sidekick of Batman as the most masculine. Very masculine, (laughs) sir. Oh, by the way, Robinson, another play etymology there. Robin son is he the son of Robin so that's why I say is it maybe an homage more actually than him being angry at someone named Robin I thought a it was I didn't want to be called that back then and then he so becomes Randy the Ram it's so a part of who he is he didn't want anyone to call him anything else Steve Austin is legally Steve Austin now he is officially Steve really? Williams his real name is Steve Williams he has a great relationship with his stepfather I believe is the Williams and I think he actually has a relationship with his actual dad too so it wasn't like, oh, fuck you, Dad. It was more a matter of, no, I'm Steve Austin. I have been for so long. It's what made me famous. So yeah. there you go. He changed his name. And I think maybe Hulk Hogan is officially not Terry Belay anymore. So yeah. guys do change their name legally. And, of course, people say another wrestling term here. And I explained this in Radio Rumble. I am definitely a lapsed wrestling fan. I still follow it. I don't watch anymore, but I do follow podcasts and whatnot. So I know a lot about the power line. So one of them is that you live your gimmick. And Randy the Ram doesn't in this movie because he's living in his van and living in a trailer park. But he would be living his gimmick if he had the money to live his gimmick. And one of the reasons he doesn't have the money to live his gimmick is because he's so married to the idea of remaining a professional wrestler for the entirety of his life, basically. Mm. 
that he only works part-time at that grocery store during whatever hours during the week he can get away with. It seems like he wasn't working there for a while because he must have pissed off the manager before. I think he was just working infrequently or very few hours, it seemed like, especially given that it sounded like the manager only wanted him to work on weekends as far as getting the majority of his hours because he was wrestling then he Mm. didn't do it. One of the few scenes in this movie that made me smile or laugh or something like that was exactly when he wants to ask the manager to get more hours, and that's porn. When, the porn thing. Yeah, he busts open the door, and the manager's there watching porn. Two things. He's not jerking it though. No, I like exactly. <laughs> one is just like casually sitting back yep. watching it, like we would watch a TV show. And the second is he turns around and kind of looks at Randy, and they chat for about ninety seconds, maybe tops. But the porn is just running in the mm. background. <laughs> He should be pausing. He's missing good stuff. Yeah, A, either turn it off or B, pause it. He's totally unfazed by this guy. It's not that, hey, get out, get out, get out. And, you know, no. I'm doing something. It's that I'm having my private time. Knock don't, on my door. Yeah, you don't just bust and you knock. Now, let's try it again. That's condescending also. <laughs> I like that touch. It's so casual. He's not just doing his job. He's doing something that he shouldn't be doing at his job. Exactly. And maybe, have you seen Barry? You should be watching Barry. Bev and I just finished the second season. We'll definitely yeah. be watching season three when it comes out. I don't know when that'll be. I've seen the first five or six episodes. But in that. season two, I think it is, one of Barry's cohorts just casually watches porn on a pretty regular basis. <laughs> He's not jerking it either. So maybe they're homaging the wrestler. Oh, it could be. All right, so let's give some numbers on the wrestler. The critical response was outstanding. 98% of critics like this film. 8.4 to 10. Obviously, we agree with them. Could have been even higher than 8.4 to 10 as an average. And 88% of audiences. Outstanding numbers. It was 105th at the 2008 U.S. box office. The Dark Knight, which Bev and I covered last year, was number one. We also covered Iron Man. It was number two. We covered that same month we covered Dark Knight. And then you and I covered Semi-Pro not that long ago. It was 83rd. So Semi-Pro outdid The Wrestler. How are there 104 movies released in this year that outgross Undoubtedly, a ton of them are terrible, too. Okay, I can understand that this was a relatively small budget like you said, art housey type of movie. But Aronofsky is not a nobody, even in 2008. Mm-hmm. The actors that appear in this are not nobodies. I mean, Mickey Rourke didn't have the same cachet that maybe he had 20 years earlier, but it had Marissa Tomei in it. Mm-hmm. I guess a lot of bit actors more so than anything. Guys like Judah Friedlander who popped mm-hmm. up, which knowing what he did on 30 Rock later was kind of a fun... My favorite role of his is always going to be in American Splendor. Have you ever seen American I've Splendor? I've never seen American Splendor. Okay, you won't get the joke then, but those listening might where he's, I am a nerd. Harvey Picar, Paul Giamatti's character, the main character, this is his buddy. Okay. And when you see the two real people interacting at one point, that's what they do. Judah Friedlander and Paul Giamatti go off after performing a scene. You see the two real guys. Giamatti does a great job of capturing Harvey Picar, but not perfectly. But Judah Friedlander really nails really? the nerd. I know he's a 30 Rock guy, but he'll always be that. But yeah, you see him in the very beginning. It's him that's talking to the Ram in the very first shot of the film. Great job yeah. tonight. We really got him going wherever it was. But you see him only from behind. Then later on you see him. I think he's wearing the same jersey and that's why I realized, oh yes. right, that's the same character. Yeah. You see him on camera later on. So he's a pretty, not major promoter. By the way, one thing about that is that I think it's the very next shot for that when Ram's walking through the gym as they're tearing everything down. It's only a little gym for one thing. And this is where his career has gone because there would have been a time where he maybe would have needed security. He sure as hell wouldn't have been walking around, well, maybe somewhat around through the crowd. But there's only a few people there that get an autograph. They politely leave. Contrast yeah. to back in the 80s when he was big, and certainly if he was big at this point in 2008, there's no way he gets two people asking for an autograph and then, thanks, loved you back in the day, bye. Yeah. And then it's not like Randy's looking around saying, who else is here as if he wants more to bother him. But that's the difference, just like one of the other great scenes. There's so many great scenes in this movie, but the legend signing. Oh, that is a fantastic That scene. may be what really broke up Roddy Piper because so many guys he knew went through that. I don't think Roddy Piper would have had a problem getting people to want autographs and pay money. And Randy does okay, it looks like, at that signing. But some of the other yeah. guys, they got the colostomy bag. Yep. The guy is sewing masks. And there were people that were there, granted. But they only show a few that show up for this thing. And if that's supposed to be believed it's just a handful of people, then most of them probably make no money at all. And that is probably, again reality for the majority of aging wrestlers and it's effective from a number of perspectives right like you said one is effective because it just hammers home the reality of this you see him arriving at this little get-together that's being held in a lion's club or whatever mm-hmm. it is. a very small space and they just set up the little pop tables and they sit down with their freaking vhs cassettes right. yes. and polaroid cameras to take pictures and this is again 2008 so it's not like this is we know, didn't all have camera phones at that point a lot of people did, but we didn't all have a phone in our camera the way we do no, now. But, but even so... That, but it was way more common than to use Polaroids. I took it that that was intended to imply that this was all stuff that they had probably left over yep. from the last 10 or 15 mm-hmm. years and that they frankly could not afford to update their right. equipment. They didn't buy it. I know he's providing for them anymore like they might have back in the day. We know that Randy was a big deal back in the day and he's meeting... Wait, all- hang on, hang on. 
I just watched Anchorman last night. I was in the mood to see it. Not a hilarious movie, but some of the best lines in the history of movies in one of them would have to be, I'm kind of a big deal. I'm kind of a big deal. Anyway, go ahead. Sorry, I have to say that. <laughs> just like, I immediately regret this decision. <laughs> <laughs> that movie will always go down as one of my favorites of all time. And you might not be wrong in saying it's not a lot. It's funny. It's not as funny, funny. as a lot of people think it is. It's not nonstop hilarious, but it incredible. has so many great lines. And also an incredible supporting <laughs> cast. A lot of them we didn't know at the time. So many big people, if not big, medium-sized people now that we didn't know yeah. at the time. <laughs> Brick killed a guy. With <laughs> <laughs> <But> a trident. With <laughs> a trident. I right, mean so, to talk to you about that. You should really get out of town, lay low for a while. Back to the wrestler, though. You're making a point. I'm sorry. I interrupted that. The so, Legends Convention. The Legends Convention. Legends signing. Yeah. Randy the Convention. Ram. <laughs> yes. The saddest convention ever. He's greeting all the guys that he clearly knew from back in the day and presumably were also kind of big deals on the biggest stage available to them in wrestling. And then when you look around the room, you see the injuries that they all sustain. They've got walkers. They've got canes. Like you said, that one guy's got a colostomy bag. One guy's in a wheelchair, I think, too. Yep. This is after the heart attack that he suffered, right? right? So he's feeling the mortality already, and he's realizing that, holy shit, all these other guys that I cut my teeth with back in the day are even worse off than I am, and I'm already feeling like garbage. Because they can't wrestle anymore, but at least I was until a few weeks ago. And at least I can walk unassisted. While he's doing that scan around the room, like you said, there's a guy sewing masks. There's nobody at his table. There's a guy to his right asleep. There's so little interest in these guys, and you know that they're there doing these things at every opportunity because they need every dollar they can get. To me, that scene is, again, one of those like emotional double whammies where mm-hmm. you get it both from the Rams' perspective while he's realizing... He's having this holy shit moment about himself, and you're witnessing the kind of sad reality of this aging wrestling profession and what happens to a lot of these guys. That scene messed with my head a little bit. It was a real trying thing to get through. And we covered Friday Night Lights two weeks ago, like we said. This is almost, in a way, the reverse of that. The young guys are never going to have the career where they can look back and be broken down and right. beat up and all that kind of thing because they're never going to play football again. Most of those players... The coach explicitly says it. But the flip side in the wrestlers is that these guys did get to do it for probably decades, but now they would kill to go back to any kind of youth. So they're the reverse, in a way, of the kids in Friday Night Lights. Maybe I'm misremembering this, or maybe I'm creating dialogue where none existed and there was only subtext, but it seems like that is exactly what the message is for Randy the Ram here, is that he would give anything to recapture that. And if he doesn't say it out loud to the crowd at one point, I think he does, but I could be, like I said, misremembering. It's heavily implied in his final speech that I did not appreciate what I had. I was out partying and doing whatever the hell I wanted. Is he listening to the song, Don't know what you got till it's gone, in the van at one point? I think he does, yeah. I think Okay, maybe that wasn't the most subtle, on the head. <laughs> subtle shot in a movie that I said did well with subtlety, but still, he does, you're right. He does love the 80s songs. The one that they're listening to, he and Pam Cassidy, and The Bar, I didn't recognize that one, I must have heard it before, but they both loved it, and it led to a kiss. One of my memories of this movie, first time I saw it, was thinking, damn, Marissa Tomei is extraordinarily hot. Mid-40s at this point, and of course there is a scene, I think it might be the first time we meet her, where the young guys are mocking her for being too old as a stripper, I think she looks pretty damn good, although I'm her age. Now I'm the age that she was in this movie, so I can appreciate her. I would have appreciated her back then. I've always been more into older women, although my wife is younger than me. Figure that out. You cradle robber, you. <laughs> the three-year difference. Wait, four years difference? Four years difference. Well, you better get that right, Ryan. I better get that right. Good correction there. But anyway, yeah, she's being mocked by these guys, and Randy the Ram is always going to her. He's a regular. He thinks of her as a friend, and she isn't at that point, but she becomes later on. But I wondered if one of the reasons why he goes to strip clubs when he doesn't really have the money for that. He must know that his rent, well, he obviously does, because one of the greats from Better Call Saul and Breaking Bad before that, Mark Margolis, who plays the guy who runs that trailer park, Lenny, obviously he would have been bothering the Ram for money long before that, before he actually gets locked out of the camper. So right. he doesn't have the money to go to strip clubs, but I think he goes, if nothing else, because he thinks of her as a friend, whether she thinks that back or not, and he just needs human contact. Yep. And we do see him fuck one relatively hot blonde who loves firemen <laughs> towards the end of the film. Which is another odd comedic touch obsessed that was for... with the fireman he's <laughs> wearing fireman boots when he wakes up <laughs> how did you get those on wow i do like his potency because they do it in the bathroom of the club where they are and then he obviously went back to the house with her and did it more than once because he's wearing these boots he didn't just go home and sleep i don't think he must have been doing a lot more than that so yeah. he finally got human contact but back to casty i think that's why he's going to that strip club as much as anything he just wants to be touched by somebody yeah he has no money that's made clear. i don't necessarily mean sexually but people forget sometimes one of the problems with incels is that not only they're not getting laid or kissed they probably don't even realize just how much they need some kind of contact mm-hmm. shake somebody's hand give somebody a hug 
Yeah, and it's repeatedly hammered into you how poor this guy is, right? Like you see his coat is coming apart at the seams and it's taped together. You mentioned he was evicted and locked out of his trailer. And when he tries to tell Lenny, let me back in, you know I'm good for it. Lenny's response is, yeah, you're always good for it whenever this happens. So he's missing his rent on a regular basis. This is another aspect of this movie. And I know that this was written maybe with Mickey Rourke in mind. I don't know. But Aronofsky always wanted him for the role, but he didn't yeah. write it, though. It was a no, guy named... Is his name again? He wrote Big Fan, which I think I mentioned to you before. Robert Siegel is his name, and also the founder, that one about McDonald's yeah. guys a couple of years ago. But Big Fan, I saw that movie by myself and paid nothing for it. I had a coupon coming at Christmas. Nobody else was in the theater, and I didn't even pay to see that movie. But he wrote that one too. That's about football. So, a big hit. If we don't ever cover that, I should at least loan you the movie and let you watch it because I really like that film. Right. Patton Oswalt plays an obsessed New York Giants fan. I'll watch anything with Patton Oswalt. I'm a big fan of his. But as far as prepping, yeah. So Siegel wrote this. And I think it's the only thing Aronofsky's ever directed that he didn't write. It's scary to me how much it parallels what Mickey Rourke went through himself. Mm-hmm. The physical punishment, the excising himself from his colleagues, from his personal relationships, the beatings he took, and how he becomes effectively a broken down piece of meat in reality by this point. But he has himself said that at his lowest points, before his Hollywood revival in the early 2000s, like you said, at one point he was homeless, and he had no relationships. The only human contact he had was with strippers. That was it. He would himself go to strip clubs, and like you said, it's not necessarily, I think in his case... Perhaps he did relatively regularly have one-night stands with them. Probably, yeah. But as much as anything... It's... I don't mean sexually, though. That's what I'm, what I'm talking about at all here. No, no, no. Me neither. And the whole point is both Randy the Ram and Mickey Rourke, they have nothing else. I think it's probably more common than we'd like to realize, and probably to a depressing degree, that there are men, and listen, women too, I'm sure, that go to these places because they have no personal relationships, they don't have the confidence, the ability, or there's something holding them back from trying to establish that connection with somebody. And whether or not they can actually afford to do it, you need to feel that sometimes, that connection yeah. with somebody. And if it means like, okay, well, I'm not gonna be able to pay my rent, but screw it, here's 60 bucks. I need to feel close to somebody for even five minutes, so mm. let's go in the back. It is one of those parts of this movie that I found emotionally trying to watch because I understood both from Mickey Rourke and Randy the Ram's perspective what he was trying to accomplish in going there. And yes, the relationship between Randy and Cassidy slash Pam, depending on whether or not she's using her professional name or her actual name, it develops into something that goes beyond. She does grow to care about him. Yeah. The most heart-wrenching part of this movie is when he finally tries to break through the shell that he's put around himself for the last 20 years. And he tries to connect with Pam and she sort of reciprocates and then says, you know what? I can't do it. You're a customer. There's a line in the sand. Get away. I pause the movie, by the way, when he gives her that card to read what he wrote. And he just says something like, actually, I wrote it down. I'll read it exactly. You really helped me with my daughter. I'll never forget it. Love, Randy. Now, I don't think he's actually in love with her at that point, and maybe that's the kind of thing that he would have told people, but maybe he is, yeah. He wrote Love Randy. You can write love somebody to somebody, and it can mean a number of things, up to and including that you actually love them, but not necessarily in the way of romantic or lustful love. It can also just be, I care a lot about you, and Mm. maybe that's what he meant here. It was one of the things that I appreciate about this movie in how Marissa Tomei played that as well. In addition to Mickey Rourke, he played it very well in the way his relationship develops with her at first he is just a customer that has clearly been going to this strip club for a long time to get that bouncer knows him bouncer knows Knows about getting drugs from him and when she tells him later in the movie that she's planning to move away his first reaction is so what about your job at the strip club right Mm -hmm. and you can see the near panic in his eyes in that moment that my one quasi human contact might be going away what do i do now and i think one of the sad realities about people like that is When you go and you patronize these kinds of places over and over and over, if there is a stripper that works there regularly and that you pay them for lap dances regularly, I'm sure in your mind that is some kind of relationship right? as the customer. And it's not as easy as I can still go to the same strip club, but now I have to pay a different dancer for a lap dance. Because she doesn't matter to me. You matter to me. We have a relationship. I'm sure the stripper is just thinking, okay, great. I got 60 bucks off this guy, whatever. I think it's possible the strippers get care about customers. I'm sure that there are lots of guys, probably more rich guys than poor guys like him. Well, they're still human. They go to strippers and do actually like each other. I'm sure that has happened and they probably have had sexual relationships at some point. These are all human but beings. As a rule. As now. a rule. No, and so... The way Marissa Tomei plays it is great because she both portrays the human aspect of it, but then the reality of it as well in that you are still my customer, Randy, and as much as I feel something for you because I've known you forever and you're a nice guy and all that, 
at the end of the day, you are just a customer and whatever kind of relationship that he's painted over their long term. It's transactional. It was transactional. Like in Green Book, Bev and I talked about that a few yeah. months ago. So, back I mean, in August. There's so many great relationships portrayed in this movie of varying types and most of the time it's depressing at the end of it all probably the most constant one in the whole film is the two of them though yes it absolutely because he doesn't have that many scenes with evan rachel wood as stephanie evan rachel wood's been so good the last couple of years on westworld she's fine in this movie and she doesn't need a ton of scenes she starts believing in him he messes up when he's out with the one night stand this yeah. is the date honest mistake but the kind of thing he obviously did lots of times before it wasn't that he didn't care it's that he didn't care enough he didn't prioritize his family and he admitted that the previous time he saw her when he does the big piece of meat thing. I don't blame her. I can't blame her at all for oh, no. saying, and you've done this way too many times to me. Right off the top, when we talked about the small details about his character that we learned through the course of the movie without being bludgeoned over the head with his past, that is one of them. You put it exactly right in saying that he doesn't care enough. He reaches out to his daughter more than once, clearly because he's in a dark place, and it's that kind of manipulative reaching out too, right? It's not that I'm doing this selflessly because I want to reestablish a relationship with you. It's I want to reestablish a relationship with you because I'm hurting and I need your shoulder to cry on, essentially. And I need... I think that's true, but a little bit unfair. But He's not doing it mean-spiritedly. Not intentionally, but he clearly wanted to reestablish that relationship because he wanted to connect with somebody out of fear, out of whatever the case may be. He had 20 years to do that, and whether or not he tried and failed, and we know that there's some kind of negative relationship built up to that point. He convinces her, after being rebuffed the first time, to go on a walk to the boardwalk with him, where apparently they had a history when she was young. And she does a good job of portraying that acceptance. I understand what you've gone through. I'll give you a second chance. Here, we'll go out for dinner. That should be a huge victory for him. Yeah. And he has one minor setback and goes on a drinking binge, does coke with this random woman in a bar, goes back to her place to get laid. Maybe the first time in a long time he's been laid, too. This is still your daughter. You yeah. went out to the nth degree, Wrong priority. supposedly. And then you get back to your trailer and you see her picture and you think, ah, oh, shit, here I go again, right? Maybe he cares. And maybe it isn't entirely a selfish gesture to try to reconnect with her. But at the end of the day, Randy the Ram, at his core is still just primarily interested in Randy the Ram's satisfaction or having a good time or whatever the case may be. That was clearly what he was doing in the 80s. And as a man in his late 50s, is still doing it when he's living in a trailer. That's probably a common thing for any guy, I guess, or a lot of people. Obviously, women are guilty of this sometimes too. But I bet pro athletes, and especially wrestlers, are guilty of it more than most people. I'm sure it's intoxicating for you, even if you're just a broken-down old wrestler who doesn't really have a whole lot of fame left to you. When a random, attractive woman comes up to you in a bar and says, I know you, you're still hot, let's Mm -hmm. go back to my place. I'm sure that's intoxicating, and I'm sure it's an aphrodisiac. If this were any other night, you wouldn't blame the guy for doing it in his circumstance. But... My basic point is it just did a great job of illustrating the flaws that this guy has. You don't paint this character as a flawless, hard-done-by man. It's not that Randy the Ram was a great dude and the industry just sort of chewed him up and spit him out. He brought this on himself. Listen, the industry did him no favors physically, mentally, clearly, financially. But at the same time, yeah, he did it to himself. And this is one of those small ways in which he did it to himself, just by being overly selfish. I wouldn't say this is one of the most important scenes in the movie, but the sequence where he dyes his hair, he's at the hairdresser's doing that, and he goes for the tan, and he's working out, primping and preening. The training montage of of the movie. (laughs) This is a wrestler's life more than most of the people, because obviously athletes are going to do some of that. They're going to do the working out thing. And any guy can be as vain as a woman is when it comes to blow drying your hair, that kind of thing. But he has to look a certain way for a big match like this. So I'm not even judging him for it. That's just what wrestlers have to do. But they also can be very self-obsessed people. And part of the problem is because they're told they're great all the time when they're at a certain point. So it takes a special kind of person to have your head on your shoulders properly when you were a big deal. (laughs) A big deal. And you're not anymore. By the way, getting back to the whole thing about the sexuality, but more so the pseudo love story between Randy and Cassidy. Scoring at the movies, I actually had a note where I said, strip clubs, half-naked, beefy men through the whole film, a topless Marissa Tomei, you should be scoring throughout... But I'm going to actually rescind that because what we said a few minutes ago, I feel bad saying that because this movie's not really all that sexual. Yeah, we see nudity no, of a beautiful woman. Bev and I just watched Before the Devil Knows You're Dead a couple days ago. That was the year before this where Marissa Tomei is nude in the first scene. I think maybe, is, yeah, a couple scenes in the film. And yeah, mid-40s, early 40s at this point in her career, she was outstanding looking. So it's funny that you got even young guys, yeah, they're probably not even half her age, saying, oh, <laughs> Grandma, get out of here. That makes sense. Young guys would feel that way. But she's always been a good actress. There's always that controversy about her winning the Oscar, which was stupid. 
we've seen what would happen if they ever read the wrong name or the wrong movie of the Oscars. The PricewaterhouseCoopers people will come out and say, no, no, you got it wrong. So she won the Oscar for real, and she's been good in a ton of films, and she's actually yeah. gotten better. She's gotten older. Now she's in the Marvel Universe, so she's going to be set for life. And I think she is actually on the film. She and Rourke were both nominated she, for Supporting Actor and him for Lead. That was all this movie got, though. Those two nominations, nothing else, nothing for Best Picture. It was my second favorite film of that year, After the Dark Knight, which in some ways is almost like it's a separate thing. It is, It's yeah. like saying your favorite film when Star Wars or Raiders and one of those kinds of films, Back to the Future out. Okay, that's a separate thing. What's my favorite film of the year that doesn't include something that's way ahead of everything else? Well, it's and also, that would be for me, The Wrestler. This is why the notion of a Best Picture is a tough thing for me to swallow sometimes. Like you said, The Dark Knight is a separate thing. I think you meant in the terms of quality, but I would argue that it's, it's just a separate thing entirely from The Wrestler for a number of reasons, because you don't say to yourself, I feel like a kind of mindless action movie, and The Dark Knight isn't a mindless action movie, but for the sake of comparisons, like you said, say Raiders of the Lost Ark or something. If I want that, I see The Dark Knight, or I see Raiders of the Lost Ark. I don't see The Wrestler, but if I want something that is an emotionally trying portrayal of a broken down guy, you know, I want something a little bit more in-depth and meaty, I'm also probably not going to see Raiders of the Lost Ark necessarily. I'm no. going to see something like The Wrestler. I don't know if The Dark Knight, to me, is well, a com- better movie. Comparing than the movies, and I've talked about the Oscars on these I mean, podcasts, it's subjective, right? With you and with Bev, probably too much because it is such a stupid thing if you really think about it. But you can never really compare things anyway, unless maybe as Bogart a long time ago pointed out, if they all played Hamlet. Yes. And that was the five nominees. Okay, then, okay, fair, yeah. then you can compare that. But even that's subjective because maybe one guy or one woman, if it's the five actress nominees, does the role in some kind of weird way. Does yeah. a Jared Leto thing. I know no one liked Jared Leto playing the Joker, but what he did was at least different than what we saw from Ledger and Nicholson and Cesar Romero back in the 60s in the TV series and what we will undoubtedly see in a few weeks from Joaquin, Joaquin Phoenix. Yep. At least it was different. It's always going to be subjective because maybe that speaks to somebody, but it doesn't speak to another judge. I'm frankly shocked that Mickey Rourke didn't win Best Actor this year. Yep. And that's to take nothing away. I think it was Sean Penn that won yeah. for Milk, right? Sean Penn won for Milk. I've watched that Oscar speech many times because I really like it a lot. The lead-in. It was one of those years they had five guys talk about all the nominees. So this took a long time. One of the reasons why the Oscars was so long is this whole thing. Five guys come out. They all introduce the guy separately, spend about a minute talking about him. Yeah. And then you get the person up there. And always a lead actor is going to go on longer than somebody who wins a lesser award. And they'll give him the time. Sean Penn especially. Of course. That whole segment's in like eight or nine minutes on YouTube. But it's of really course. good. And Penn at the end. He says all kinds of meaningful things because his character was about gay marriage. Not about gay marriage, but it was Harvey Milk, so it was a gay character. Gay marriage at that point was not legal in America. Right. And people were protesting outside the theater. He talks about that, the theater meaning where they did the Oscars. But then he says at the end, my brother, Mickey Rourke, rises again. And they show Mickey Rourke. And I love Sean Penn in that film. It's one of his best performances. It's better than he was in Mystic River, which I think he was a little overdone in that film. I don't have a problem with Penn winning, but it should have been Rourke. Because like I said two weeks ago, this is one of the great performances of the last several decades. This very same year, maybe one of the other great performances was, of course, Heath Ledger in Dark Knight. And the year before, well, many performances from this guy, but Daniel Day-Lewis and There Will Be Blood. So in the span of a few years, you had some of the great performances. I guess I'm saying too many in one little stretch of time. (laughs) But as far as authenticity goes... I struggle to think of a performance that I've maybe ever seen. It almost sells Marissa Tomei short by comparison. Even though, like you said, she got nominated, so much of my attention gets drawn to Mickey Rourke because of the authenticity and the power of his performance in this role that it almost takes away from what Marissa Tomei is doing as an actor in her role. And she is great. And that final scene between her and Mickey Rourke... I'm here. I'm here. I'm really here. This is one of the reasons why I'm convinced that his character went into that ring with the intention of not coming out again because of that interaction. And the despair he felt when she first rejected him and then the honesty and the emotion of her showing up that way and the little speech she gives him about being there for him for him to turn around and say like listen that's nice and all come out and watch the show but i have a job to do but i have a job to do you hear those guys there for me and then his sweet child of mine starts playing he says i gotta go I think that's just, I gotta go, period. The not... life of the wrestler. Yeah, I think you're right. That's a multiple meaning line. It's true. You could argue that he has no choice at that point. He can't just say, sorry guys, I'm not gonna go out there. He could. He effectively he did could, that. If he came out though and said, guys, I have a heart condition. I had a heart attack. 
do you want me to wrestle? I think they might have actually, especially that audience, the real people, like I told you, the Ring of Honor crowd, that at first were booing him and jeering his speech, and then we fucked up. We fu-. well, Those people may have wanted him to wrestle till he died. That's not fair, I'm sure. But No, but I think you're right. The crowd might have just said, yeah, we want you to wrestle anyway. But he but could have wrestled a different kind of match because Bob was telling him, let's just go home. We've done enough. Yes, exactly. Something's wrong with you. End this. And maybe he could have been, if he's going to die at the end, if that's what we're saying, I think you agree with me that he dies. I if not so. then, he's not going to live much longer. He could have ended it sooner, at least, and maybe been okay. And this woman's now saying, hey, I'll give it a chance. Did you notice, by the way, something I didn't pick up until I was reading the trivia when I was watching it this time, that when she leaves the strip club, somebody else, one of her coworkers, says, you left your boots behind. Yes. That apparently is an analogy for wrestling, because when wrestlers quit, finally retire, and most of them don't really ever retire, watch Beyond the Mat, which we should do, if not this year, the next. Beyond the Mat, the wrestling documentary. Yeah, I've seen that. Jake the Snake Roberts was wrestling way past when he should have been, but oh, he had—he yeah. is basically Randy the Ram himself. But when somebody says, you left your boots, it's like her saying, I'm quitting stripping. Oh, I caught the line. I didn't realize that, dual that, that meaning. was the dual meaning yeah. of it. You're right. We do have to watch that movie. Jake the Snake is a really interesting guy in the same way that Mickey Rourke is a really interesting mm-hmm. guy in all that he went through. And I'm pretty sure it was Diamond Dallas Page as much as anything. Saved that, his life. That saved his He'd life. He'd be dead right now if we're not for Diamond Dallas Page. That but, guy saved a few lives. Yeah. Mentally and physically mm-hmm. he saved him, which is really And apparently he stayed off or is it on? When you don't drink, you're on the wagon. You stayed on the wagon. You're on the wagon. He's, he had sober. a lot of relapses when he was going through that. But by the time he finally got to the point when that movie's over and he seems like he's healthy, I think ever since then, which is something like five or six years now, he stayed healthy, which is good for him. I don't want to neglect to mention one of my other favorite moments in this film. Another grocery store scene. I think it's the first time he goes out to the deli before the spring chicken thing. <laughs> is when he's walking through the backstage. We follow him a lot in this movie. We're behind oh. him a ton, like Nicholson in Chinatown. You're yeah. always behind him, it seems, or at least a lot of the time you're behind him. He gets lots of close-ups. He's in every scene, or if not every scene, most scenes. After he busts into his porn-watching boss's office and gets assigned to the deli, the first time he goes to this first shift Walking through the, the backstage, and his music is playing. It very suddenly it ramps up. Yeah. Because as soon as he pushes through the curtain, not really so much a curtain at the grocery store, it is a curtain, of course, with wrestling, but it's pretty much the exact same thing. Music stops instantly. What a great touch. It's awesome because it follows him through the back alleys of the grocery store. He walks through the lunchroom, which is kind of like the changing room of the wrestlers. It is exactly the shot you see when you follow a wrestler out of a tunnel into a match. And the way they ramp the music up, at first you're thinking, is that just background noise? What's going on? And then it clicks. You get a little bit more He's got to get into the role because he's got to... He's pumping himself up. But it's reverse. He's got to tone himself down to do this mundane job that anybody could do. At first, I thought that as well, that he's got to tone himself down. But as a person, he struggles so much to effectively communicate with other human beings when he's not being Randy the Ram. Bit of a mumbler, yeah. Is this Robin Ramzinski trying to get himself pumped up as Randy the Ram to go out and deal ha- with the public, have yeah. to constantly deal with customers. Eight hours, yeah. yeah get into True. maybe not exactly the wrestling persona role, but get into a role. And that's why you heard the pump-up music, you heard the crowd starting to roar, and then he bursts out because he was trying to get himself amped up to speak to people. I said amped down. I was just thinking because as a wrestler, of course, you got to get your adrenaline up and everything else to perform. Yeah. His adrenaline doesn't need to be up. But yes, he's got to get himself mentally, at least in that place. Okay, put on that fake smile. Exactly. I worked at a gas station. I've never done retail before, but I'm sure those jobs are harder than people think they are because if nothing else you gotta be nice to people for eight hours and i'm sure you and i wouldn't want to do retail especially at this point in our lives and deal with people uh, i'm too much of a cranky old man yeah. i can never get my job up. i spend most of the time alone and it's probably for the best <laughs> you're not fit for polite society anymore not in that place no, no, no. <laughs> the one thing i wish they had changed though is he got to that happy place i guess things were going kind of well for him this is after he quasi reconnects with his daughter he had the like quasi date with pam so he's happy about working at the deli now. He's kind of made his peace with life. Partly because he's retired from wrestling. But I think part of the reason he retired from wrestling is because the other things in his life were going well. Yeah, okay, yeah, true. Because at first he wasn't going to retire. One feeds the other. One yeah. feeds the other. He gives the good-looking comments to that guy and gives him some potato salad. And they go long, go long, mm-hmm. and heaves it. I just wanted him to miss that throw. Just like <laughs> overthrow the guy by 10 feet and just see the potato salad go sailing down the aisle or I something. I guess you got to pay for that, Ram. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't have the money to pay for that $4. Yeah. <laughs> Especially given that later on, when the old lady pisses him off with the little less, little more thing, he just starts eating the potato salad out of the container. you got no problem wasting potato salads. Mm. He's like, fuck it, man. Just give it all you got. Another nice touch I liked is that you do see Pam's kid playing with Ram's doll because Ram gives the action figure to her and later on, much later on, you see the kid playing with it, which is pretty nice. Yeah, that was a cute moment. That was kind of the turning point for her, though, too. Even though she didn't at that moment go running to Randy, you could see the look in her face. Maybe she missed him. 
Yeah, I think she did. And I think the only time we see her kid. Yes, other time. she talks about him a few times. Yeah, because they go on that little shopping date and he buys Stephanie that terrible shirt or sweater, whatever it was, coat, but then he buys her something else at least. Showing his bad wrestler taste. <laughs> the tack, he's got an S on it. That's the kind of thing that Rocky Balboa would have bought for somebody. I thought that jacket was pretty cool. <laughs> I would wear that. Shiny green, why not? Full flash. <laughs> Incidentally, Mickey Rourke was part of WrestleMania 25 as part of promotion for this movie. Because the movie came out, what did I say, it came out in the fall? Well, it was December, so yeah, the movie was going through the Oscar stage and all the rest of the award shows in the early part of the next year. WrestleMania is around the same time frame. And he was working with people like Chris Jericho and Ricky the Dragon Steamboat whatnot. He was going to wrestle Chris Jericho at one point, and they realized, no, he can't really wrestle an even five-minute match. He does in this movie because of editing and whatnot. He probably got competent as an actor to do it, but not as a wrestler on the big stage. And apparently he didn't really fully get it. Jericho was working with him, as in working, but he didn't really get that Jericho, when he was insulting him, was just playing a character. <laughs> he started to take it personally. <laughs> Until he agrees with you. I can't believe he said that. How dare he... Incidentally, apparently Mickey Rourke had quite a tragic upbringing, which I didn't realize. He and his brother went through decades of physical and emotional abuse, and I don't know if that's in a foster home capacity or whether it was like step-parents, adoptive parents, or just parents. But he has said that that's the kind of stuff that you do not recover from. Mm -hmm. If you ever see him give interviews, I think you understand it. Aronofsky's uh, movies have always been about troubled people. Requiem for a Dream certainly is. Mother of Bevan I Discovered certainly is. They're not even real people, really. It's more of an allegory. Black Swan, definitely. Rough parents, tough parents to deal with. That's a theme in a lot of his films. He said that going into this, one of his friends or relatives was a big wrestling fan, so he had familiarity with it, but always viewed it as, I think a lot of people did. It's all fake, whatever. But then in training for this movie... Yep, to like we least, talked about Ray to Rumble. Yeah. To Get be, in that ring. Just to become competent enough for the film. I think he said he dislocated his shoulder three times just in training for it, mm. because you have to learn how to fall and not destroy your body. And they did a great job of showing that in the final match between the Ayatollah and Mickey Rourke. We see other scenes throughout the movie, like when they go shopping at the Dollarama to see, like, yeah, what like, can I hit you with yeah, that's right, not yeah. going to hurt you but will look cool? It's a fun he, scene, too. Yeah, he, he starts doing it to Wouldn't the Wouldn't cost cashier. much, yeah, to buy yeah. that stuff, but you can use it in the movie. So the it looks good, but it crumples immediately, so it won't really hurt. That final match, you see them clapping the hands behind the head, so it looks like you just ear slap the yep. guy. But at the end of the day, you can't jump off the top turnbuckle or suplex somebody and not hurt yourself if you don't know what you're doing. If you're just some dude who tries to suplex another guy who weighs 200 pounds, I'm sure you either dislocate your shoulder, you rupture... Or uh, you break sleeve, a neck. Or you break a neck. Yeah, there's a mm -hmm. lot of... Yours or the other guys. Even if it is choreographed, that doesn't mean it's not physical and it's not real. It's funny, too, because this movie's called The Wrestler, and there is enough wrestling action, but kind of like Raging Bull and Rocky, there isn't that much. I think it's about 10 or maybe 12 minutes of wrestling action in a movie right. that's about an hour and 50 minutes long. So it's not reliant on the sports action like it is in Hoosiers and Miracle and Friday Night Lights. Friday Night Lights has a lot of football action too. Longest Yard, about half the movie is that big game at the end. The depiction of the sport, I guess we've said already, is pretty accurate. I don't like Ready to Rumble, which especially in that big match was so remarkably, I'll use the word, fake. But this doesn't yes. seem fake. This seems pretty accurate. And the wrestlers, in reality, that work the indie scenes, like that garbage wrestler... A lot of them are doing this kind of stuff right now, and it's uncool. I don't blame them, though. I shouldn't be judging them because they got to get by, and this is their gimmick. But some of the stuff they have to go through. Another nice scene, actually, in the movie early on, and apparently it was improvised, is when you see these actual wrestlers who work the indie scene talking about, oh, you work the neck. Oh, no, don't do that. You got the leg. I'm sorry. You got that. Yeah. The deference that wrestlers have. That's one thing, actually, that's kind of irritating when you follow it like I do with podcasts and whatnot, the way that people have to be so deferential and so respectful. Way too often, you have to shake everybody's hand. It's so stupid. Leave people alone. Really? That's so much about wrestling, though. It's about respect. And I guess part yeah. of what that comes from is the idea that I have to give you my body, and you give me your body, and we could hurt each other at any moment, in any way, which is why I still hate, and we talked about this a little in Ready to Rumble, when people call this fake. It isn't fake. It's scripted. It's planned. And when they do it right, they come out of it maybe a little bit banged up, and maybe they've got a little bruise here and there, even a little bit of a tear, possibly, that they can work through. But they should be able to work the next day. Brad Hart always said, it's like a football player. Of course, then again, that was before concussions. And wrestlers, of course, have plenty of concussions, too. Yeah. When I was watching this... Sorry, correct myself, not before concussions, but before concussions were so well known, Yeah, what I should say. When I was watching this, I was exactly at that hardcore match scene with the hillbilly guy and the barbed wire and the glass and all that stuff. As that scene was playing, Allison walked into the room and watched that with me and just looked disgusted and aghast and said, and she is, should. is this legal? Every day, I'm sure there's some low-tier wrestling circuit somewhere where people are doing exactly this. That's their gimmick, and you got to make a buck. It's interesting that you made the comparison between wrestlers and football players, or Bret Hart did, anyway. 
I recently listened to an interview with Arian Foster, and I don't know if you know who that is, the ex-running back. He was a star player for about four, five, six years with the Houston Texans back in about 2010. Laziest team name ever. Nickname, yeah. that is. Yeah. We can't beat the Houston Oilers, so we're just going to go with the Texans. So He didn't have a particularly long career, even by NFL standards, as a starting running back. I think he was only a starter for six years. I think the median... It's more like five, isn't it? Yeah, it's like four, four or five. But he played for years with broken collarbones yeah. that he 100%, and this is as recently as 2010, almost contemporaneous to this movie, you would at times get hit so hard that you would finish the game and not even remember finishing the game. Get up and your body just knows what to do, and that's what the practices do for you, is that they ingrain a subconscious muscle memory, and so you can get through a game, and after it all, you kind of remember brief glimpses of what happened during the mm -hmm. game, but... No clue about how maybe you got from point A to point B to point it's C. It's not that your body's calloused, your whole brain is calloused, I guess, in a way. Even though the man made something like $60 million in contracts plus endorsements, so, I mean, he's set for life as is his family, he would not play football, even given the success he had. If he knew what he was going to go through, would not do it. He would just go to school, become a scientist or something. And likewise, if his children ever try to play football at any level, would refuse to let them do it. I wonder if wrestlers feel the same way about their kids. Because a lot of them have gotten into it. You're seeing... Ric Flair's daughter is in it, and his other kids have been in it before, yeah. and Bret Hart, a lot of his family members are in it. And this is something else that he said as well, is that even as recently as 2010, as football players, as running backs, who I'm sure almost more than any other position on the field are at risk of getting your bell rung, maybe the wide receiver because you're in a vulnerable position more often trying to catch the football, they were never told about concussions, never told mm. about the risks of it. And now we all know because all the information has come to light. So many wrestlers and their children, and even back in the 80s, some of these wrestlers would talk about their father or their grandfathers that mm -hmm. were wrestling on the very small circuits that existed back prior to them. It becomes a generational kind of profession, whereas football, I don't think it will ever be that. It would not surprise me at all if football in the form it exists now doesn't even exist anymore within that. a generation. Wrestling might be the same. Maybe. Wrestler union. Probably never happen. If anybody needs health benefits, John Oliver did something about this quite a few months ago, right before WrestleMania. Yeah, I saw that. If any organization, I just watched, I'm not quite done with it, watching a movie about unions, Norma Ray. I was not a big union guy for a lot of my life, even though I've been in one since 1998. But I'm for them now because you see what people will do to take advantage of the regular people. And in some ways, these guys who make more money or can make more money than the rest of us ever will probably need it more than the regular people do because of the risks they run, the things they go through. And you could say, you can yep. set up your own health insurance, you can do all these things. Yes, you can. But even from the standpoint, apparently they buy their own costumes. So the Ram, that's another nice little moment after he's had the heart attack, he goes through and his <laughs> pants have been cut. They have to cut the pants. Cut, to get yeah, exactly. Right. But he had to pay for those. And what I've heard lately is that the WWF guys in the height of their fame, they were paying for their own stuff. Yeah. Baseball players aren't paying for their own uniforms. They're not paying for their own transportation. They're on a bus or on a plane that's paid for by the team. Wrestlers get apparently WWF, WWE-level wrestlers. I don't know about the Indies, probably not at all. They get flown to where they have to go, but they pay for their own hotel and their own food and their own transportation and all that stuff. Mm. The other big sports don't do that. And Union is probably one of the reasons why. And this guy, and most of the people in this movie for that matter, Randy the Ram and all of his buddies in this movie, need one badly. That's a good call, too, when he wakes up in the hospital checking himself out. The sheer look of disgust and dismay on his face when he realizes, oh shit, I gotta buy myself a new pair of spandex shorts because they cut these ones up and he throws it in the garbage. I don't know if the comparison holds though. I don't know what the revenues are of, let's say, the WWE on an annual basis. They can afford it. They probably could. Maybe other companies can't, but they can. It's just absurd. But unlike things like baseball where you have a group of owners, now granted there's been a players union in most of the major sports for a long time, WWE is an owned entity. The McMahon private, yeah, privately owned. Although they do have was it IPO, so I guess they're public in that way. But they're still, but they still have a controlling interest. Yeah, I'm sure, yeah. they can do what they please because of the money they make as wrestlers at the top of their game. If you get to that pinnacle, you can make a good living out of it, right? Great living out of it. Yeah, very few ever will, but. There's that if, right? And it's the same kind of thing that I think attracts a certain number of people to football. We talked about that on Friday Night Exactly. Lights. So if there is ever a push for unionization, if there is ever somebody that speaks up and speaks their mind... It needs to be the big star that does it. Even if it is the big star, though, are they bigger than the sport itself? Or do the McMahons just say, okay, listen, we're going to take a PR hit 
I should not say the McMahons, but if you're the owner... No, he would do it. Vince does not have the best reputation. I get that. Jesse Ventura tried to start a union back in the 80s. Hulk Hogan ratted him out. And That's right. I don't think Jesse Ventura got fired, but I don't think it's ever really been talked about again. You never hear about other stories about, oh, this other guy did that 10 years later. And, oh, last year somebody talked about it. Yeah, and you hear every other backstage story, so they must not ever be talking about it if you never hear this kind of rumor. Jesse Ventura may not have been the top dog back in the day, but he was a known mm-hmm. guy. Pretty respected. Okay, you're going to be a troublemaker? You're out. And we'll just bring in the next guy. And he wasn't out. I don't think he actually lost his job. But what he wanted did not happen. But this is where they had And the top guy is the reason why... One of the reasons why, because he shot up his big mouth. Yeah, but they have the capability, if they want to, to say, okay, you're done. We'll pay whatever yeah. contractual fee we have to pay to cut you out, but and you're done. And that movie, done. Norma Ray gets into that whole thing, yeah. too. If you want to do what we want you to do, then we'll screw you over. And so many people in the world, North America, I guess, but in the world, are so afraid of losing their job that they don't ever want to speak up about forming unions. Exactly. I'm impressed it ever worked. Unions were ever a thing, because a lot of people got hurt and even died, I think, trying to make this happen. And whatever Jimmy Hoffa's faults were, the Irishman comes out pretty soon. That's somewhat about him. The Union Podcast has come up now. I have conflicted feelings about unions myself, having been in one for a number of years also. But regardless of their pros and cons, the lack of one in wrestling, like you said, is a real detriment. It's a scandal. There was a lot of violence involved in Mm -hmm. a lot of these things that led to the formation of, in the acceptance of unions. And I think what we see in this movie would maybe still happen. It's like when people say, if you have gun laws, then people will still get killed with illegal guns. Somebody will find a way. Yes. But we can make things better, can't we? And maybe the guys that Randy sees at that legend signing, who are worse off than him, don't have to go through that quite as badly if they had a little bit of help from the industry as a whole, not necessarily just from the big ones. Right. And as you said, if they are considered legends, then at one point they were at the top of their game too and probably made damn good money. And you could say it's on them. But why with Americans, at least, is it always about, oh, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, especially when the president right now didn't pull himself up by any bootstraps. We take care of each other. That's what good society is just supposed to do. Man, this podcast has gone off the rails about wrestling. (laughs) Welcome to the Socialist Podcast. So anyway, let's wrap it up. It's been a long one. Good one, I think, but a long episode. How was that beer? I just drank a tall boy of beer, Ryan, so it truly did contribute to my dad bod, I can say. Yeah, right. Your backup is Ace Hill, is what that says? I wanted something juicy and refreshing, much like... Okay, actually, I'm not going to say that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh! Mr. Marissa Tomei on your lap? No, 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 no. (laughs) Do not attribute that to me. I'll get in trouble for that one. This is a Rattler. You didn't crack that one open. My drink is gone and my bladder is full. Just you wait. Oh, he's doing it now at the very end. Okay, so big fans of Wrestler, we both are, I would yeah, say. So. Top three, top five, whatever movie that we've covered so far. And it might remain that for a long time to come. Although we have some good ones coming up the next little while. We're covering most of the major sports now. We did some fringe ones in the summer, yeah. but now some more major ones. So in two weeks, it will be October 3rd. October, man. The NHL season starts the next day, so it's time to lace up the blades and deke some defenders as we cover another hockey movie. Something I've not seen in a long time, Slapshot. It'll be good to talk about a movie that is a little lighter, a little bit sillier than some of the stuff we talked about recently. Very silly. As much as I love The Wrestler, and I think it's a fantastic movie, and I think Mickey Rourke is amazing. And Friday Night Lights was kind of the similar thing. Similar thing. Pretty down movies. Yeah, you take an emotional gut punch watching some of these things, and we got to get back to some of the goofy stupidity that we covered earlier. All right, so we're on Stitcher and Spotify and Apple Podcasts, and of course, www.top100project.com. So we'll talk to you in October. Man, we're doing this in early September. That seems so far away, but also it's not so far away. So depressing. Take her easy, you big pieces of meat. (laughs) (laughs) I hope that you will. (laughs) And I know that you will.